Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and it's Tuesday, and uh, we'll go over some uh, some NBA NBA stuff from last night. Right, we got 11 games late last night. There was all that all that all that news before lock. What did you do? How did you capitalize it? How did you capitalize it and then get screwed by, by capitalizing on it anyway? We'll, we'll find out. And then maybe we'll take a look at the three games. There's a three-game slate. How do you approach shorter slates, smaller slates in NBA? Uh, lineup HQ, we have a new feature that may that may help you help you build lineups a little bit better for the smaller slates. So we'll go over that and, uh, and answer your, your DFS strategy questions. I see you guys in the YouTube chat, as always, Josh Duck, Suki Singh, Doug Montgomery, Eric Robinson, card fan, Stephen Smith. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hit those dummy thumbs on your way in the door. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Uh, let's see. Eric Robertson says, uh, started focusing on GPP only a week ago and got my first four-digit, four-first-figure digit. I guess digit's fine. Win last night. Fished in second in the $12 single-entry NBA contest. Thanks for all the help the channel provides. Oh, okay. If this was if this was DraftKings, we could we could even we could take a look at that. Let's let's see if we could find it. So I'm assu- I'm assuming twelve dollars. That's a that's a DK contest, right? That FanDuel doesn't do like twelve dollars, right? So single entry, single entry, uh, twelve dollar contest. So like that's what we're looking for. So pick and roll, the pick and roll, the pick and roll. I believe. Okay, here Eric Roberts. Okay, so Eric nine one two nine. Here we go. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, the low old play, right? Dinwiddie. Okay. Dinwiddie, hero. Gordon Tucker playing Porzingis instead of uh, Evan Mobley, who I don't, I don't, Evan Mobley shot like zero oh, for 11 or something. I mean, like he, he was awful yesterday, uh, even with Jared Allen out. Uh, Dwayne Dedman, who, I mean, he I guess he got there for 3,200, uh, but he wasn't necessary once Bam, Bam and Butler were ruled out. Cole Anthony got a ton, 12% owned. DeRozan, 13% owned. I mean, you could have got, yeah, I mean, basically, if, if you if you would have done a little construction with a little bit differently, not taking Russell here. I mean, he did, he'd fine. I mean, he's fine, raw points-wise, but not as much as some other players. Maybe you would have gotten first, but still 1250, that's pretty good. The first place, right, if you played like Lonzo Ball instead, right? If you played Lonzo Ball there, right? I mean, this type of construction. Deadman wasn't in the winning lineup in the largest field GPP, but this is, this is 24, 2,451 entries. So you, you don't have to, you don't have to the nuts nuts, right? If we take a look at the, the fadeaway, the top score was 381, right? The winning score was 374 here. So like Eric's score of 365 would have, would have gotten him 365 would have, I mean, 300 bucks about, 47th place right but this is a three thirty-one thousand entry contest you know when you when you play when you play smaller field i mean this is not small small field but mid-sized field like you know you don't you don't need the nuts right you could win especially when the ownership is going to be more condensed like let's take a look at that let's let, let, uh, we'll play we'll play this by, by just by year so look at the difference between that contest, so we're going to go by, we're going to tr- compare the ownership of the pick and roll to the to the fadeaway, okay? So we could do that in results DB. This is free. 
ResultsDB is a free tool. I don't know why more people don't use it. Okay, go to rotogrinders.com slash ResultsDB. So you could look at lineups, players' lineups, exposures, ownership, anything. Okay, so the 25K pick and roll, single entry versus the fadeaway, right? So you can see the, the ownership differences. The ownership condenses more. So you can see here, Horton Tucker, way more owned in the single entry. Hero, Deadman about the same. Jokic is extremely more owned in, in the pick and roll. Mobley more owned, Dinwiddie more owned. And guys that were less owned were like Rubio by a little, DeRozan by a little. Just scrolling down, just looking through, you know, that's why the greens and the yellows are here. So you can see the differences. But it means it means that you're 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 comparing the leverage of your lineup to these numbers, not the large field numbers. So if we take a take a look at uh, like Mobley at doing badly at forty six percent on is much better for you than him doing badly at thirty five percent. Not playing him like Jokic. Yeah, I mean Jokic. The only reason why Jokic wasn't in the winning lineup is because he was so expensive that sixty nine points. There were enough players at like 7K, 6, 7K that put up like 50 that you, you didn't need Jokic, right? If we take a look here, I mean, even, even at the large field contest, this is the large field contest. Where's the first Jokic? Okay, oh, it's second place. Okay, there you go, right? But it's a Deadman lineup, right? You have to find, find value, uh, value. I mean, THT was easy. Cade Cunningham actually came in much less owned uh, once the, the Butler news came in. If you could see... In the, in the ownership right here, like just from uh, exposures that some sharp players had. Like once a hero became like, you, you had to play hero, right? Deadman, we didn't do that well, but I mean, 3,200, he, he got there, but not, not to the extent in which you wanted to, to get there. But like all these point guard shooting guards, like Dinwiddie, right? Once you plug in Dinwiddie and hero and Rubio, Caruso, and then you have Herder, who got hurt, and Hero, and Duncan Robinson, possibly. I mean, like, then Kate Cunningham is, comes in at 12% owned at 5,500. He puts up 51 points. Cole Anthony put up 53 points. Like, and if, if I mean, I said it on the, on the on crunch time, on crunch time, on Grinders Live last, last night. I would look to get away from the chalkier point guard-ish options and try to find something less. The difference between Dinwiddie and at 27% owned and Cade Cunningham or Cole Anthony at 12% owned, like it shouldn't be that dra dramatic. Or like Caruso, like do you, you want to play a 20% owned Caruso? No, 20% owned Herder. I thought Herder would be lower owned. But everything changed. Once, once you were able to get a cheap center in, and you're already playing THT, like it did now. Now Jokic gets more popular in the utility spot. Everything kind of condenses around one type of, of uh lineup build. But we can see here in the in the in the in the $20 in the, the single entry contest. Like, yeah, that build worked for this, but like Eric's build, much more balanced, other than than Russell. If he would have had Cole Anthony there, oh, he already had Cole Anthony. What do you could have spent 40, 7,300? I don't know. Who could have gotten at 7,300? You already had Przingis in there. I don't know. Seems, seems out of place.
but whatever. Second place. I can't, I can't, I can't, can't complain about second place. 1250. Oh, let's see. Uh, go through the YouTube chat. Uh, Michael Dompey says, quick plus for RG, the NBA stacks functionality seems to be a vast sign saver, saver if you MMA, worth the monthly price. Yes. I'll show off that stacks feature for, for today's thing. Right? This will be a short show. But if, unless you're going to ask questions in YouTube chat, whatever, I mean, how, how long could this show be? Right? What, what else can we go over? It really is guided by you. Sometimes there's a lot of chat. Sometimes I answer a lot of questions. Sometimes I don't. Maybe it's a half an hour long, and that's it. Like on today's slate, the reason why I wanted to show off the stacks functionality in, in NBA, our new stacks functionality in the line of HQ, because it's more useful on shorter slates. You're unlikely to really be game stacking on 11 game slates. You're unlikely. And they, now, if you wanted to do like one one type of things, if you play one guy, like if you, if it, if, if you play Gobert, you got to play a Philadelphia player on the other side, like that type of thing. You could accomplish that with groups, but it just, you have to build so many groups in order to accomplish that, that having a stacks feature where you're just like, I want to make sure that, you know, whenever I have a, a center from Utah, right? Or if I go here, Utah center, that I have, uh, you know, at least two guys from the other side of the game. Right. And I want that in 25% of my league. Or something, you know, something like that. So much easier to do it this way than do it with try to do it with groups, especially if you're going to do it with multiple people. If Giannis is in the lineup, make sure to have two guys on the other side, you know, like that type of thing. So you don't have to add all the players, you have to set all the conditionals and then keep track of all the groups. Much more beneficial, much more easier to do it this way. So you're not really used like it, to me, the stack feature is not like a global functionality. Not something that's like, oh, this is where I start my, my, my lineup building, like you would in MLB. And MLB, a lot of times I'm just using the stats page. I'm like, I want 12% of that. I want 15% uh, of that and these things and run it, right? I, I want teams. I don't care that, you know, if it's one, three, four, seven, eight, fine. I don't care as long as it's five batters. Don't care, right? So I'm primarily dealing with the stacks interface. So like, I, I'll, I'll say this, I've said this before, the NBA stacks interface is not like, it's not like a must thing to use at all. It's if 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 it, this helps you accomplish something that groups would, this is faster. So that that's the type of thing we could do, like on tonight's slate, when you have three games, okay. And also, we don't have like as of right now. Obviously, we don't know the news, and this is the algorithmically uh, generated projections. Like no one's a good play tonight. Like, like, like there's, there's no one that stands like, you got to play this guy. Like we have right now, Gobert at 47 and Durant at 50, 42% owned. I mean, yeah, you have to have a raw point somewhere, but like we take a look at the salary adjusted plus minus value. Like what's the difference between like here and there? Like, no, like everything, every, every, who cares? You're not, you're not sacrificing that many points. There's no one that stands out. That you know, if you if you don't have him in the lineup, you you drop your your lineup drops by a significant amount, and we could tell by like if we if we generated one hundred lineups, let's do one hundred. Go to build rules, make sure forty nine thousand one unique, whatever. This looks good. So if we wanted to generate the hundred the the, the top hundred optimals, right? What would we do? 
I'm assuming we're going to get a lot of Gobert and Durant. We're going to get a lot of George and Reggie. We're going to get some of the top guys. But I don't, I don't expect, I don't expect like, you know, it's like, oh, this guy is in like 100% Olympics. Maybe Gobert. Maybe Gobert only because of positional scarcity. Because I'm looking down at the tops over here. It's like we got Draymond at center eligible. Zubach. You got DeAndre Benbury in a tunnel length, I guess. Right? Benbury, Durant, Gobert. But only Gobert. I mean, look, Gobert was the highest RGB, you know, guy with the highest salary adjusted plus minus. He still only shows up in 57% of the top, you know, 100 optimals. Right? So you can see here, it's like, well, in the case that, you know, the top 100 has this many players in it, like, you, you don't mind sacrificing, you know, you don't have to sacrifice that much projection to get an ownership discount, right? If we go if we go by here. These are just the top. These are just based on our current, obviously, our current numbers. So if we get rid of the lineups in between, okay, what I'm going to do is take the top 100, but get rid of all the lineups that are in between that are lower projected but higher owned based on our current numbers, obviously. So you see here, 252.99 is the top but 249.5 total ownership. So any lineup that's underneath it, you're, you're losing projection, so you should also be losing ownership. If you're not losing ownership, you're sacrificing projection for no reason. So this lineup down here, the second lineup is 252.9. So you're, you're, it's 0.09 less, but it's actually like 13 percentage points higher in ownership. So we're gonna get rid of it, right? So we're just going to get rid of the lineups that like we're at 249 and this is all sorted by fantasy points. So like anything below it has to be lower than 249.5, right? We're just going to start, we're just going to get rid of the lines. Okay, it's 249.2. Okay, so that's lower. So we're going to get rid of the lineups that are anything 244.1. Okay, so we're getting lower. 244.1. Getting rid of the lineups in between. You'll see why we're doing this. We're trying to see where the drop is. 244.1, 240. Okay, let's keep on going. We got to beat 244. Can we beat 244? Okay, 242.1. Okay, let's go. Keep on going. 242.1. 241. Okay, now we got 241 lineup. Two, another 241 lineup, but it's, it's you have to beat it. 256. To be 241, 238.8. Now we got to be 238. We go through all these. Here's a 234. 234. Let's see. I want to go too fast because I may get rid of one that's actually lower. 234. 234. We may, we may have hit it. We may we may have struck gold. We may have hit it, people. 234, let's see. Okay, now we got a 230.6, okay. Let's see if we could be 230.6. And this is only in the top 100. Obviously, if you did a thousand of these, you'd probably find ones that are even lower as we keep on going down in projection. 230.6. Can you beat 230? We're coming to we're coming to the end. 
coming to the end of the line. 201. Okay. Oh, that's a that's a very big drop. But then here you go. Okay. So the bottom lineup at 201 is 246. That's the projection. The top one is 252, almost 253. So the difference in the top 100 optimals when factoring in ownership, the lower ownership, is anywhere from 252 to 246. So we're talking 250, 253 to 246. So it was a seven points of projection difference. So in order to eliminate like 50 percentage points of ownership, you have to sacrifice like seven points of projection. Now, who shows up in these nine lineups? So who makes up the lineups that are higher, are, are higher projected and lower owned? Well, obviously, I mean, obviously the best projected players, right? Durant, Gobert, Conley. But who doesn't? So if we take a look and see like James Harden comes on much less than Kevin Durant. Tobias Harris, Draymond Green. I mean, just look at two of them. Reggie Jackson, the Clippers, not as much. Because I'm kind of like compare it to ownership. Like if we take a look at our current ownership, I'm assuming it's correct. Like who's going to be like Terrence Mann here, for instance. Terrence Mann is going to be 34% owned. Like where does he show up in our lineups? In our nine lineups like this, does he show up at all? If he doesn't show up in our lineups that when we removed all of that, 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 gives, that gives a signal that he's over-owned for his projection. We're not getting him at all. Right, so that's what you're looking at. You're look, looking at what the project, what the percentage owned, and how much you're getting out of the line, lineups as we as we eliminate the ones that we wouldn't be playing. So that gives you a signal on who you'd play less of and who you play more of versus their versus their ownership. Now, taking a look at these nine lineups that that you're playing, that you're not necessarily playing, but you're, you're that is is in contention. Obviously, this top lineup is like a cash lineup. Okay. So in the top 100 lineups, you're going to be sacrificing anywhere from no points, that's the top lineup, to seven points. Okay? So here, here's a cash lineup. So I would, so this is something that you would play in doubles. The lineup just underneath it, like maybe the couple lineups just underneath it, are more like single entry type of lineups. Right? Smaller field type of lineups. Because they're still high owned, but they're, they're, they're a little bit less owned for the projection. Right. And then towards the bottom, once you get to like this over here, these would be the larger field lineups. So if you wanted to build more of these types of lineups, you'd look at the ownership, you'd look at the projection. You go, okay, I'm going to cap the ownership, the ownership at like 205 or something, and then build lineups like this, knowing that that when you give up 50 points of ownership, you're going to sacrifice another like seven points in projection. That's why your, your aim for being, maybe you don't have to sacrifice that much. So if you're going to build large field lineups, you kind of, you could, this is a blunt way of doing this. You'd go, you'd go to the build rules. You go, I, my max total lineup ownership is 202, right? That lineup. And you'd build from there and you go, okay, I know I'm sacrificing seven points in projection to build these lineups. And then you build as many, many lineups that are high projected at that range that you can, right? But let's say you're building the smaller field stuff. 
Maybe you don't mind the, the, the other lineups, right? So we're looking at, you know, in, in this range, the 230, you know, 240 range. But remember, we created the top 100 optimums, right? So this lineup down here that's at 246, 201 ownership is, is like, look, 97, is in the top 100, right? So you could, you, you can play it in single entry. So like we got rid of lineups that were like slightly too high owned for their projection. So if you're playing like single entry and three max, like these would be the lineups that I put. I mean, these would be the lineups. I would pick three of these lineups. That if I'm building large field stuff, I'd start at the bottom and then start building out from there. And if you're playing cash games or something, you'd play the top one or the top, but one or two or something, you know, some of the top ones. And this, is, this is the way to build lineups without like, what do I have to know about basketball? I don't, I don't have to know anything about basketball. I trust the numbers. I trust the projections. There you go. Fill your lineups out. Now, if you want to apply some, you know, strategy, for instance, I mean, we're getting, I mean, obviously in a three-game slate, the most beneficial situation on a three-game slate is for you to play the one game that doesn't blow out, right? You want two games to blow out and one game to go to overtime, right? That would be the, the highlight situation. We see here that you're, you are jamming in a lot of people from, you know, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't help it. Look, this lineup has six nets in it, six nets and two jazz. Which I don't even can you even do? I'm not even sure. I think you have to play three teams or something. I don't even know if you could play that long. So maybe if you if you do play like six nets, you want to play guys from the other side of the game. You want to play warriors in those lineups. So that's where the stacks feature comes in. So let's say if you if we're gonna play, let's take a look at what, what's showing up. Okay. So we get a lot of nets. Jazz, we're getting Nets and Jazz and some Clippers. Nets, Jazz, who are the Clippers playing? Playing San Antonio. Get Derek White there, I guess. So maybe what we want to do is that if we're playing four guys from a team, Maybe you do something like this. Maybe, maybe you're like, you, you want to do four, two. And you don't care which side, just like whatever. Or like four guys from one side of the game and two guys from the other side of the game. And let's see if that works. Right now, now build a hundred lineups. Let's see what, let's see what shows up. We should get Nets. We should get Nets. Warriors, we get Jordan Poole in there. We should get, I mean, something. Let's see. Probably some of the lineups that we already saw. Right, take a look at this lineup, right? You're getting Mills, Bembry, Griffin, Durant with Graymon Green and Jordan Poole. And then you still get, you know, the two extra guys. Right, so here we go. Four Nets, two Warriors. Four Clippers, Two uh, two Spurs, and you still get two two Jazz players. Here's four Nets with James Harden, right? So you can make these types of line. I mean, you can. You could experiment with this. Try to game stack. Maybe an even higher type of game stack. Maybe you want uh, you know you obviously can't can't play the full one. So like four and three. 
four from one team, three on the other, and then just one extra player from one of the other games. We could do something like that. Take a look at what those lineups look like. So much easier to do it this way than try to build it with groups. So I've done this with groups. It's a pain in the ass. This is so much easier. And maybe you don't, this is, I mean, I'm just showing you this with like all the teams checked and 100% of my lines. Right? So we take a look here. Here's the Clippers. Clippers Spurs, 4-3. Right? And you can see the projection, 248 to 222. Right? But in this stacks, I mean, like you don't have to stick to one. Like, let's say I want to add another one and add another one. Right? Maybe I want... Four three. I want some four three. I want some four two. I want some some three three. Right? You could you could you could do that and then set a percentage. So it's like I want I want uh, I want thirty percent of these. I want forty percent of those and thirty percent of these. Right? And then there you go. Now you can build them. And if you only want certain teams, then just uncheck the ones that you don't want. Right? And maybe when you can, like if we were leaving this alone, like if we if we had, because obviously these four threes only have one, one player left in it. So let's say we do four, two, four, two, four, one. And then three, three or whatever, whatever you want to do like this. You could even add a second one and go, I want I make sure the other two players in my lineup are against each other. Or at the same team, right? You could do two, zero. Right, we could do those type of lineups, or you could just do one one, and you go, I want one hundred percent of my lineups like that. One one, so this this it will create four two lineups, and then the other two spots will be two guys opposite sides of the game. So you won't get Donovan Mitchell and Ro and Rudy Gobert together. You'll get you know Philadelphia a Philadelphia player on the other side. Right, you could do something like this. So let's say let's say we delete this, because so it leaves because these four two and three three leave you know obviously two spots remaining in your lineups. So maybe you want 50% of these and 50% of those and hundred percent of this. And then let's see what happens. <laughs> Obviously projection will start coming down because it's forcing in these types of little, little correlation things. But if you need, to, if you wanted to do something like this in your lineups, this, this interface gives you it's so much, so much easier than trying to do it with groups. Some of the stuff you can't even accomplish with groups, like these second game stacks. And because then you have to do like every player. If Gobert's in the lineup, then as has one of these 10 players. If, if Mitchell's in the lineup, you need one of these Philly players. If this, if Conley's in the lineup, you're going to end up with like 30 groups on a three game slate just to cover all of those combinations. Here, it's just like ding, ding, they're done. Bing, bong, bing, you're done. So let's see what these lineups look like. Then you do this and you take a look and you see what projects high, low owned. You know, you do the same thing like we did before when we got to those nine lines. And you could save the ones that you want and get rid of the ones that you don't want. Right. So we're getting a lot of Firkin Cork miles, obviously, because we're forcing in, you know, a, a Philadelphia player with a jazz play. Right. So the top line appears 252, 244% owned. Right. So you're getting, you know, we're getting the, Brown, Durant, Bembry, Mills, four Nets, two Warriors, and then Gobert and Harris across from each other. Right? Here's Korkmaz and Gobert across from each other. And a game stack of this, uh, the Clippers-Spurs game. 
right? 250, right? It doesn't have, look, 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 how, look at the dramatic difference between these two lineups. I mean, it's, 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 I think a seven V seven. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a seven V seven, but the differences in ownership and, and, and projection are not, are not that dramatic, right? It's a little bit less owned and about a point less, less projected. So like both these lineups are good, even though they only share one player. They only share Rudy Gobert in this one, right? There's no other player, right? It's just Rudy Gobert and a game stack of the other game. Right? Here's another game stack of the other game. Right? Here's a game stack of the, the other game. So it's a, it, right. So, I mean, that's why these lineups are not different from each other from a projection standpoint. But they may be better constructed than your, than your opponents who may be trying to pick and choose and whatever. Right? You kind of look, you look at a lineup like this and you're like, I want the Nets Warriors game to go off and I want the Spurs Clippers game to be a duck. And then you look at this lineup and you think the complete opposite. Like I want the Nets, I want the Nets Warriors game to be the dud, and I want the Spurs Clippers game to be the one that goes nuts, right? And then we got to have some. There's probably a Jazz one. Yeah, here's a Jazz. Here's Jazz Philadelphia. One, two, three, four. Two Philadelphia players, right? And then we get Bembry and Green against each other. So now you're you're hoping for that game to go off, right? So you take a look, and you can see all these lines. Two forty-eight. I mean, the, especially especially on a slate where like there's no like obscene value or anything, right? Everyone is kind of just like meh, right? Nothing stands out. That you can build so many different types of lineups. You shouldn't be sticking with the, the you know, the oh, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play a, a higher own this guy because he's like half a point higher projected. And and you're gonna get 20 points more ownership. Like there's no need for that. There's so many more combinations you could play on these types of slates. 11 game slate where there's like Four or five guys that, like, if you don't have them in your lineup, you sacrifice like six to eight points of projection. Like, yeah, you could fade one in a lineup, but you can't fade all of them. So it, it, the game becomes a little less complex. Even though it's an 11 game slate, it's like it feels like half your lineup is already filled out for you. These are the slates where, as if it stands the way it does now, where if anyone says Durant is a must play, they're, they're, no, no one's a, no one, there's no must plays at all on the slate. There's nothing. There's no one that stands out. There's no one that should be 50% off. It doesn't, doesn't make sense for them to be. Going through the YouTube chat. <sighs> Let's see. Tim Lincecum, 14. I'm seeing a few takedowns with a ton of one-offs. Are we talking about NBA or NFL? Would you say that stacking is minus EV or just one stack of two, two? Oh, still we're talking about NBA and the rest one-offs are optimal or based on slight, like stacking, stack, NBA, there's no such thing as stacking an NBA. On an 11 game slate, you, but what are you stacking for? There's, the correlation of players on a team is not, it's not, it's not high. It's not like NFL. It's not like MLB. Normally the, the optimal lineup is going to be all one-offs. On an 11-game slate, I don't, I'm not even considering any of this. On an 11-game slate, I don't, I don't care at all. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even matter. It's for more for smaller slates. Also, it depends on the projections of the players. That's the main thing. 
What are the projections of the players? There are two guys. There are, there are four guys in this game, two on one side and two on the other side that project 800 points higher than everyone else. Well, should you play them together? Well, yeah, because they're the best project. They, they just happen to be in the same game. So why wouldn't I want to play them together? Of course. That makes more of a difference than anything else. You look at yesterday's slate and you go, oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heat that project well. So I'm more likely, like in those lineups, to play one, one guy from the other side of the game if I had a choice between multiple guys that all have similar projections. But it all comes down to the fact that like multiple players on a same, the same team with the same game all project well. So doesn't it make more sense to just play them all together? You could do that. Oh, let's see. Uh, Michael Dampier says, stacking logic question might be stupid. If you say any one versus any one, that has to be a floor, not a limiter of one. No, no, it's it's exact. If you use, if you use the stack section, that means exactly. It's not two or more. It's f- four exactly, two exactly, three exactly. But if you just have... I, I personally don't care about the guard forward center, but there could be cases where people want to do that. It's like for specifically for like, if you want to go for specifically Utah, go bear lineups, right? You wanted to do something like, okay, then, then I understand why there's a guard forward center. If, if, if anyone wanted to do something more granular that didn't want to use a group, it's, it's possible. Personally, I think you'd rather just use the group for that. If Gobert's in the lineup, make sure to use, you know, one of these three players. Like, I think it's more, if you're going to do it that granularly, you might as well just make the group. But we left in the guard forward center because maybe some, maybe some, if I'm playing a guard from one side, I want to play a forward from the other side. I don't think it matters. It shouldn't. But maybe some, maybe people, maybe people want to do that. So why not give them the, give, give them the option? Uh, right. MJC correlation exists in NBA when games are high scores and fast pace, taking a few pieces from each side. No, you're correct, but it's just not strong. The problem, it's just, it's not strong enough. Whenever you're, you're, whenever you're adding correlation. Okay. This is, this is where people go wrong. Okay. This is very important. Very, 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 very important. You get, Whatever you're doing right now, put it down. Put whatever you're doing down, okay? Right? If you're driving, pull to the side of the road. It's that important. It's that important, okay? I've said this about maybe, I don't know, probably 4,000 times. But it's this important because apparently I have to repeat myself 4,000 times for the same people to understand the same exact concepts. There are three levers in DFS. Projection, correlation, and leverage, okay? So these levers work. As you pull one down, one goes up, right? It's not just, you can't just pull them all up. I just want, I want the highest projected lineup that has eight guys all in the same game that are 1% owned. Like you're not gonna, that doesn't exist in DFS, right? You're not gonna find that. You're not gonna, on this slate, you're not gonna, I'm gonna stack one game and I'm gonna be literally the only guy, the only person in the entire field that has any of those players. 
like literally, like they're they're one per, they're less than one percent. Like you, you're not going to find that. So anytime that you raise your projection, you're obviously limiting other things. Every time you're raising correlation, you're lowering your projection. Every time you're raising your leverage, you're lowering your projection. You're lowering your correlation. So it's not a matter of well, yes. I'm going to play like on, on, I'm going to play four guys from the same game, two on one side and two on the other side, or one on one side, one on the other side. Is there a correlation there? Yes. It's very, it's very weak, right? It's not like correlations in baseball. It's not like correlations in even NFL, It's not like correlations, even in soccer. It's very weak. It adds something, right? So the two players combined, when you add them together, one guy from one side of the game, let's say Gobert and Tobias Harris right? One's on Utah, one's in Philadelphia. If the game is fast and goes over and stays close, so they have maximum minutes, there's a correlation there. That's correct. But how much does that add to the combined score of both players? 3%? I mean, what are we talking about? 5%? 5%? I don't even think that much. So if their projection is 40, right? So 40 for Tarras, and 40 for Gobert. That's 80 points total. And you tell me that that correlation is worth 5%, which I th- would think is too high. Is worth 5%. So what's 5% of 80? It's four points. Okay? So by playing them together, you gain a, an extra four points of ceiling. If it's 5%, but it's probably not 5%. It's probably more like 2 to 3%. So let's say 2%. What's 2% of 80? About what? One and a half, two points? 1.6. So that's what you're gaining. When you play Gobert and Harris together, you gain two points of, of ceiling. Okay. Is it worth playing Harris and Gobert lineups versus Donovan Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell, I mean, assuming that the positions or whatever, similar price, right? I mean, like 8,600 versus 8,500, but Donovan Mitchell projects for uh, a half a point higher. So if you had the choice in the last piece of your lineup for whatever, and you had Gobert, and you could put in either Mitchell or Harris, who would you put in? Probably Harris. Why? The correlate that both sides of the game correlation makes up for the half a point difference in projection. So you're like, okay, I don't mind doing that. But let's say, let's say for instance, that Donovan Mitchell was projected for 56 points. I'm using a very extreme example just so you get it. And you go, but I, I want to play both sides of a game. So I'm just going to play Gobert and, and, and Harris. Well, why not play Mitchell for the, I mean, Mitchell projects for 15 more points than him. So who cares about the correlation? You're not making, you're not making up the difference in projection by the very weak correlation there. Anytime you're doing anything other than, than raising the projection of your lineup, you're doing it as a sacrifice. You're sacrificing projection for something else. And your goal is, to, is that sacrifice worth it? So if you're going to go into a slate and go, I'm always going to play two guys from one side of a game and two guys from the other side of the game, you're doing it wrong. Why? Okay. These two, I'm going to play these two guys and these two guys like last night. This is like, you just pick two random people. Like you're sac- you're, you're probably sacrificing projection where you don't even need to. You're not gaining that much from doing that. 
That's why I said, if the, yeah, if these two players on each side of the game are projected well also, then why not play them together? Yes, that then it makes the sense. But I'm not going to play four poorly projected players together just for the sake of that correlation. You're just not going to make up enough. In, yes, I'm not, I'm not going to sacrifice 20 points in projection for the sake of that weak correlation that I'm going to gain four or five points of ceiling from. So that, that's the thing. That's the, the, when people are asking questions, do you do this? Oh, in football, how about the run back? Do you, do you, should you run it back in, in NFL? Well, it depends on the projection of the run back. It, it depends. There's a correlation there. It's not the strongest of correlations, stronger than the correlation in, in basketball. You know, when you play, you know, quarterback, two pass catchers and the guy from the other side of the game. Well, what's the projection on the other side of the game? I mean, if that guy projects well, then the opportunity cost, if you, if you had a choice between two guys, like what, with the Bills game, I think Corey Davis was like 4,900. Okay? So in that spot in your lineup, you have a $4,900 spot. You could play Jacoby Myers there at 4,800, or you can play Corey Davis at 4,900, who's, you already have the Josh Allen stack in your lineup. Which one should you do? Well, there is no answer until I tell you what the projections of the two players are. If Corey Davis projects for 12 and Jacoby Myers projects for 12, they're the same projection, then you're not sacrificing anything by adding the correlation, right? So why not do it? That's where you put Corey Davis. If Corey Davis projects even better than Myers, then it makes even more sense, right? Because why, why am I going to lose projection and not have a correlated piece? But let's say Jacoby Myers projects for 14 and Corey Davis projects for 12. So if you were gonna, if you were maximizing your projection, you'd be putting in Myers in that one and have no run back, right? You'd have no run back in that one. Or is the two points worth putting Corey Davis in? You're dropping your projection two points to add the correlated piece. Is the two points worth that correlation? I don't know. It'd probably be close. But let's say it wasn't that close. Let's say Jacoby Myers was projected for 15 and Corey Davis was projected for eight. Is that correlation worth seven points? Probably not. So you wouldn't have the run back. For that. So that's why there's no answer to the question. Do you run it back? Do you don't run it back? Do you double stack? Do you single stack? Like it all depends on the projections of the players and the opportunity cost of using a player that correlates for that small correlation boost versus the projection of the player. And you do the same in any sport, just like in basketball, just like in, in MLB, anything. Some stacks in MLB don't aren't good because one player in the stack projects well and a lot of them don't. So you can be sacrificing a lot of projection by playing five of them in one lineup, even though, yes, you're right. They are all correlated to one another. But is it worth playing a lineup with a five-man stack of expensive, poorly projected guys that puts your the projection of your whole lineup down like 15 points for the sake of having five guys from that team? Maybe not. Yeah, but all five guys are correlated. Yes, you're right. But is it worth the fifth? Is it worth the projection sacrifice? That's always the question. That's always the question. And without knowing the projections, you have that you can't figure that out. If 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 you play uh, if you play uh, you know the stacks if you play uh, the Cowboys on Sunday did, did you play did you play a, a, a Atlanta player with it Should you have played? Like obviously they got blown out. It's like, well, I shouldn't have played Pitts or I shouldn't have played Coronel Patterson. Like, these, Pitts projected well. 
Gordel Patterson projected projected decently enough. If you didn't play, if you didn't play Pitts in your tight end spot and you played Hawkinson, like that didn't make any sense. It's not like Pitts projected poorly. So the Falcons run back like that, like that was your the opportunity wasn't. I mean, you were playing a good projected player anyway. Just happened to be the other side of the game. But if you're playing, if you're playing uh, at uh, you know the Josh Allen stack and you're playing Dawson Knox in it or something. You're like, should I play Dawson Knox or should I play Cole Beasley? Play someone else in the tight end. Play play someone else in the tight end spot. Well, Dawson Knox projected poorly. So by playing jo- Dawson Knox in that stack, you're going to be you're gaining correlation, but you're giving up projection, which may be fine if you could make up the projection in the rest of your life. Uh, go through the YouTube chat before we get out of here. And yes, I, I agree with Jacob. In NBA, you're more, you're, I'm more likely to be eliminating negative correlation than forcing in positive correlation. That's correct. And typically, you don't like. Typically, you don't want two expensive guys. Not a big fan of playing, you know, LeBron and AD together. Like two expensive guys on a team, Kawhi and Paul George, that need like super ceilings. Typically. Now on smaller slates, it may be fine because there's only so many players to choose from. Right, Eric Roberts says he's eliminating negative correlation is what I do the most. Yesterday, for example, I didn't want Levine and DeRozan together because I think it's unlikely they both reach GPP winning scores at their salary. And the key part of that sentence is at their salary. If Levine was 8,300 and DeRozan was 3,000, then yeah, then you could obviously play them them together. So it's can they re, can they both reach ceiling super ceiling GPP large field winning ceiling scores together at their prices? What do you need for eight thousand? You need fifty plus. Do you think they both could get fifty plus often enough that you could play them together at eight K plus? Now, obviously, if one of them was three thousand, how, how much? How many points do you need out of a three K player? Twenty five, thirty maybe. Yeah, DeRozan has a median projection of 40. So yeah, yeah, if he was mint price, you could play them together. Let's go through and find anything else before I get out of here. People are talking amongst themselves. They're answering their own questions. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, yeah they're answering their own questions i have no idea jack mitchell asks how do you get over fomo when xing out a high value or high projected player just not in just not in basketball but in general well here's the thing you shouldn't be xing out anymore jack you're not playing players you're playing lineups so I'm gonna play if I'm gonna play 10 lineups tonight, I'm gonna play the 10 best lineups that I can. If it just so happens that it doesn't include one player that's X'd out, then then so be it. How do you get over the fear of missing out by playing enough? Your goal is to win every night. Your goal is to win like once or twice a year. Okay. Once you get that, once you understand that, once you understand you're gonna lose in GPPs, your goal is to lose 90% of the time. I go in knowing that I, most likely, 
on an NBA season, I'm going to play 150 slates or whatever. I'm probably going to lose 140. Lose money. And not all of my money, right? But just lose money. Then 10 of those slates, I'm going to make money on. And hopefully out of the 10, two of them are like for a lot of money. And there you go. That's your whole season. So once you think in those terms, like who cares about fear of myth? What? Oh, I didn't play this guy and he went off. Oh, well, tomorrow's another slate. Like you act like would at his ownership at the, in these lineups did would I've changed, would I've made any other decision? No. Okay. Then what do I care? As long as I keep on making those decisions every day. Right. If you take a look at the ownership and everything afterwards and you were off on stuff, it's like, had I known that guy was only like, I think Cade Cunningham yesterday before a lot of the news was projected for like 30% ownership. And at that point, I was like, well, maybe you don't play him at 30% ownership. But when, when you see it's 12% though, and after all the news, it's like, damn, I should have had more. Right? That, those are the things you should be concerned about. Not, not FOMO. Not even what the results of the, the, the slate are. Now that I have all the information, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about the results of the games. Now that you have all the information ownership-wise, would you have done anything differently? And most of the time, the answer is yes. Most of the time, there are little things that you would have, eh, maybe I would have done this more or that more. Maybe I would have played this game more, something like that. But you're looking for major things of like, damn, I got that completely wrong, right? I thought, he, I thought Hero was going to be sneaky because the news came out late and he ends up being 52% owned. And you jammed him into every lineup. And Hero did great. But you may look at that and you go, well, I jammed him into all 20 of my lineups. Had I known he was going to be 52% owned, maybe he would have only made 12 out of my 20. Something like that. Just something as simple as that. Like, I, I, I thought he would be 30% owned. He ended up being 50. And at 30, he was a jam. And at 50, he was a good play, but not have to, not necessarily had to be in every line. And you go, okay. It didn't matter that he did well. So you shouldn't be thinking of, oh, Hero did well. Good thing I jammed him into all my lineups. You shouldn't be thinking that. You should go, oh, based on what we know now on how the field, how the market was, you know, the field ownership, would you have made any different decisions? And if the answer is no, then what else are you going to do? If you lost all your money that slate, if you you know, got wiped out, dust ball. Why wouldn't the change? Okay, well, there's 149 other slates to keep on you play tomorrow. Well, what happens if you go? Because I, I, I hear this, I hear this all the time. Oh, you're not going to play that guy? Well, yesterday and yesterday's showdown slate, I played 16 lineups. I played zero Debo Samuel. Okay, obviously, I didn't get back a single dollar. Right, I didn't get back. But people would ask, you know, if I said, oh, I'm not playing any Debo Samuel in my 16 lineups tomorrow. They go, well, what happens if he goes off? I go, when I lose. <laughs> it's not that complicated of a question, right? I think he's, I think he's, he's the most overrun player on the slate, right? And I'm going to play a different construction and not play. So I'm playing 16 lineups. If I'm playing 100 lineups, I probably would have had some of them. So it's like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Oh, well, what happens if he, what happens if he goes nuts? Well, then I lose. Well, what happens if he doesn't? What happens if he gets injured on the first play? Well, then, then have to. I mean, you could think of it in that way also. So you have to get around that. You have to get over the fact <clears throat> and your focus on just one slate. This is one long game. It's not even. It's not even a week to week thing. It's not a month to month thing. It's not even a year to year thing. This is one one long game. That's why you only play a certain percentage of your bankroll per slate. 
right? You play a very small percentage bankroll per slate, especially if you're playing GPP, and you play to win first place. You build lineups and you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to most likely lose most of the slates this year. But I'm playing to win one, two, three of them, top five, you know, in a couple, or, you know, something, something like that. You do that, all the money's up there. Like, dude, I lose like 90% of the slates that I play in GPP. And I've made uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit. In profit, even including all the loss. I mean, that's, you don't get that. Yeah, you lose, I'm going to lose $100 a night over and over and over and over. So I add up all these hundreds, right? I'll add up, I lose 100 here, 100 there, 100, you lose 150 times. That's like, that's, uh, that's $5,000. Yeah, but then you win $100,000 once and you're up, you're $95,000. That's what you're aiming for. Uh, Eric Robertson says, running lineups, trying to, uh, trying to exclude certain guys one by one can help a lot also. Helps you see which players you lose the most projection by fading. It can help with the decisions. Absolutely. That's very similar to what I was doing before with eliminating the lineups in between. It, it, it accomplishes kind of the same thing. It's a blunt way of doing that. Assuming that, the, assuming that your projections are good, right? Assuming that the ownership, everything is good. I mean, I tend to change the ownership projections. Uh, Eric Robertson, is there any way to determine what a player should be owned based on looking at RGV projections and compared to field size or mostly just fit? No, it's, it's, it's going through the process, like the blunt, blunt way of eliminating the lineups that, you know, high projection and, and too high ownership, low projection and high ownership. That's a blunt way. The best way to do it is just simulate. If you could simulate the contest with all of the actual lineups, then you'd be able to do that. With ac obviously with accurate player projections. That's the, that would be that would be the more that would be the more precise way of doing it. The blunt way is to just run lineups and oh this this projection is here this ownership is too high get rid of it and see what what players show up. I saw on 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 Sunday that uh, with NFL that I was just getting a lot of DeAndre Swift doing that. Right instead of getting like Jonathan Taylor or Najee Harris or Austin Eckler in that like 7K-ish range, Ezekiel Elliott, based on DeAndre Swift being 12% owned and had nearly a similar projection to all of those players. And all those players were like 16 and 18 and 20% owned. Like, obviously, Swift is going to show up in a lot of lineups. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm sacrificing a half of, uh, a quarter point to half a point of projection. And I'm gaining like six to eight, percentage points in ownership for, for nothing by playing Swift over any of those guys. So that's, that's what it stood out. So that's why I played a lot of Swift. Not because of anything else, just like in comparison to these players, that's based on the numbers that I had. Proje player projections as well as the ownership. But I remember, but also remember like the ownership, like I, I changed the ownership. I never changed the play. I'm, I never changed the player projections. 
And what's the reason why I changed the ownership? Because I, I, I have much better feel than, I mean, I look around the industry also. I mean, because it's not just like, oh, look at RG and like that's, oh, whatever Roto-Grinder says. It's like, no, well, I, I, could, I know what's going on everywhere else, what other people are looking at and going like this guy, you know, we, we, have, we, we have him projected at 24% owned. I'm like, now nah, he's going to be more like 32%. Owned. Like, do I know exactly? No. But I know he's going to be higher than 24, so I'm not going to leave it at 24. I'm going to put it at 32. I'm going to look at this look this this guy and go, oh, we have him at 16% owned. It's like he ain't going to be more than like maybe, maybe six. Maybe, maybe six. So I change it. So I change the ownership, typically. But that, I can't backtest that. I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm estimating at that point. But from my, from my experience in playing DFS, if I were to be able to back test that, I, I, I think my R squared of my ownership is better than the entire industry. Because I'm really getting, I'm getting, I'm getting an aggregate of everything. I mean, essentially it's an, what I'm doing is I'm aggregating and adding, adding some subjective bias to it. Because a lot of times the, the ownership around the industry doesn't take into account, obviously contest type, and also doesn't take into account recency bias as much. They really should, because you shouldn't, but human beings do. So anyone that in NFL that did well the week before, like it looks all four percent owned. It's like not eight percent owned. They go, well, why should he be eight? He shouldn't be eight percent owned. All I'm telling you is that if you're playing lower stakes contests, people are going to look at the box score, and it's not he's not going to be four percent. He's going to be eight percent, maybe ten percent even. Right. So you have to add that in. And then once you add that guy to 10%, you have to take it away from other people, right? Sometimes you would get in a bubble and you go, oh, everyone's, everyone's going to play scrow a neck or whatever that guy and last night's showdown. Like our, we had him projected at like 33% owned. Around the industry, he was around 30% owned. He came in at like 16. In the large, in the milli, last night in showdown. Yeah, because the, 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 there's still a lot of casual people that play that are going to look and go, I'm, I don't know who this guy is. They don't know that he's going to be running as the third wide receiver. They think OBJ is going to be out there. He played 11 snaps. So sometimes we're in our own bubble and you go, oh, how, how do people not know this? It's like, no, sometimes you have to adjust it. Like when I was, when I was going through, I, I decreased his projection. When I, before I built my lineups, like Shronik's not going to be 33% though. And I put him at like 24 and he came in at 16. So it's like, I didn't go down far enough. <sighs> Eric Robertson, which RG had an option to set a projection for yet. I, I I've, I've asked for that also. That's it. That's probably in the pipeline, right? A projection flesh they could do. So you could say, basically, I want, Oh, my total ownership is to be 200 at most, but my projection to be at minimum 235, right? So you're not going to get anything lower than that, right? But I mean, that, that all you have to do is just do it, you know, without a projection floor and just eliminate anything that's under 235. I mean, you just build 300 lineups and then eliminate the bottom, whatever that, right? But it would be, yes, it would be much easier to have that, you know, that range like that just for a projection. Oh, okay. So uh, I thought we covered a lot of stuff today. I thought it would be a shorter show, but then everyone got, got all, got all chatty in the chat chat, right? 
right? We got, we have smart people here. We have some dumb people though, right? We do. I, I, and most, mostly smart people here in the chat. They asking other people questions, right? Jacob's here, right? Robster's here. Nerdy Tenor's not here this morning, but Nate's here. Michael Dompier. We got, we got smart people that show up, right? We don't get that many stupid questions. So I appreciate it. So give me a thummy thumb. Give me a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, notification bell. Uh, we got Grinders Live later today, right? Grinders Live, crunch time, something. It's only a three-game slate. So I don't know what, what's going on with the schedule. Wow, we got 7.30, 10, and 10.30. Oh, oh. Three-game slate tonight, and uh, we'll be going over all of that later. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so tomorrow, uh, I don't know what the hell we'll talk about tomorrow. Three-game slate, can we go over that? They'll probably be big NBA slate. We'll get some results, DB stuff. I'll answer your questions, as always, because that's what I do here on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.